We are wrapping up the first chapter of Colossians today in the series that we have called Jesus Over Everything. And if I had to sum up chapter one in one sentence, it would be this, keep growing in Jesus. Keep growing in Jesus. We've seen this from the very beginning of this letter. In verses three through eight, Paul commended specifically their growing faith and also their growing love for each other. So you've got this faith and this love together and they're growing and he was thankful for that. And in verses 9 through 14, we saw this pastoral prayer where Paul literally just prayed and said, God, I pray that they would know you more, that they would grow in the knowledge of God. And he prayed that prayer specifically for them and that they would be rooted in the word of God. And then last week in verses 15 through 23, one of the great Christological passages, that's a big word that just means about Jesus. And we saw that Jesus is high and exalted and and we were called to just stand amazed at the Lord of creation and the Lord of the church. But don't just stand there with your mouths open, but actually the invitation was then to submit to him and live a life of worship and devotion to Christ. So as Paul is writing already in chapter one, man, you see his heart for this church. He loves this church. He wants them to become who Jesus wants them to become. And it's evident that he loves them. And if you remember from early in this series, we said that Paul actually didn't even really know them personally. He had never been to the church in Colossae, but it's evident that he loved them and he saw himself as a pastor to their pastor, but not only to their pastor Epaphras, but to the church in Colossae. So because of that, we're going to see some really cool truths in this text about the role of a pastor and how a pastor should relate to the church. So this is going to be, uh, I hope, a helpful message for us as the people of God today. Um, Of course, God's word always is good when you teach it, so let's do that. Colossians 1, starting in verse 24, the word of the Lord says this, Now rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I'm filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is, the church of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. The mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory." Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom, that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. Would you pray with me? Lord, I do ask that you would help us now, that your energy would powerfully work within us as we seek to study and understand and be changed by your word. So, Uh, God, we're here and we're listening and we long to hear a a word that encourages us, challenges us, and teaches us and makes us more like you. So would you do your work as we let your word speak for itself. It's in your name we pray. Amen. 
Well, today I just don't mind telling you that this is a kind of an awkward and personal message for me because we're going to be talking about pastors and the role of pastors and truths about pastors. And uh, I was, you know, again, first service, really today, it's been a wild day, lots of random behind the scenes things that, that probably uh, I've only been the one dealing with in my head and my heart uh, to the point that I legitimately, I don't, again, this is probably oversharing, but welcome to Crossroad and uh, me as your pastor. I literally took a lap during the first service in the middle of the song service and walked around the facility and was like, okay, Lord, is this really what I'm supposed to preach today? Uh, Because I kind of didn't want to. Is that okay to tell you that? Like, I was like, uh, can I do something else? And instead, the Lord uh, led me to come and preach this. Because honestly, uh, as I told the first service, like, you're going to get to see how cruddy a pastor you have uh, when I teach this text to you. (laughs) But you're stuck with me, so here we go. Uh, I want to just start with this big truth, and this is very clear and very evident, not only in this passage, but throughout the Word of God. Uh, This is the big truth for today's message. Pastors are a gift to God's church to help believers grow in the gospel. Pastors are a gift to God's church to help believers grow in the gospel. Now, there is much to unpack here in this text, and as I've been thinking through it, really all of it will fit under this Heading And chapter 1, I said a moment ago, has been all about growing in the gospel and that we are called by God to grow in the gospel. And in the final verses of this chapter, we're going to see that God has also given the church pastors to help you continue in that gospel growth. So we're going to frame this message with five big truths, again, that will go under this heading, this heading that says pastors are a gift to God's church to help believers grow in the gospel. So the first truth we see is this, the pastor's reality. Suffering is inevitable. The pastor's reality, and that's that suffering is inevitable. In verse 24, Paul says, I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, talking about the church. And in my flesh, I'm filling up what is lacking in Christ's affliction for the sake of his body, that is, the church. It doesn't take long as you read through the book of Acts to see that Paul went through immense suffering. There were times where he was physically beaten, he was abused, he was stoned a few times. And like, there's one part where literally they leave him, they leave his body because they assume he's dead. Uh, But then he comes back. In fact, some believe maybe he was dead and the Lord brought him back. But the text does not tell us that. He was persecuted in immense ways that we can't even really begin to understand. In fact, as he writes this letter, most scholars believe that he is in a Roman prison, a kind of a house arrest situation, basically waiting for his trial. And and eventually what happens is he is going to be executed. So he literally wears the scars of suffering. And he says in this passage that all of this is for the church. Now listen, because we live in a Catholic-saturated community, can I just point out that this verse has been used to incorrectly teach the doctrine of purgatory, which is not really a biblical idea. But the idea of that is that we kind of have to suffer a bit in order to cleanse out the rest of our sins. And where they use this verse where Paul says, I'm filling up what lacks from Christ's sufferings. But this certainly isn't what Paul has in mind because in chapter 1 and as we'll see in the rest of the book of Colossians and really in all of Paul's writings, he goes to a great extent to tell us Jesus paid it all. Like the gospel of Jesus Christ is not a gospel of do, 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 do. No, it's a gospel of done. 
It is finished in what Christ did through his death, burial, and resurrection. So when Paul uses this phrase, he's actually just using it as an expression to say that he is suffering in a sense as Christ has suffered on behalf of and to serve the church of Jesus Christ. Now, I want to just make abundantly clear this morning that I am not Paul. I am not in chains. Wichita is not a Roman prison. I love my vocation. I love my calling. I love this church. And you need to know that you as a church take very good care of my family. Yet the reality is, Scripture is clear that ministers will suffer for the church. As our culture changes, I wonder what that is to look like in the decades ahead. I don't know and don't pretend to know. But I do know that there are days even in our lives now where the sacrifice and suffering of ministry is real for my family and I. I don't share this to sound like a martyr today because, again, we are super blessed. You guys are so good to us. But there have been days where I've wondered aloud to myself and others if perhaps I should have, you know, just sold insurance and taught a really cool Sunday school class. When people that you invest in leave the church and have ugly things to say, when you're unfairly criticized, when the pressure of leading a a growing organization feels like too much, I'm reminded by texts like this that suffering and sacrifice are normal for pastors. I have been uh, at, at the bedside of some of your families who... Uh, Loved ones who've gone on to be with the Lord at the moment they've passed on. And uh, the Lord lets me stay here. I will probably be at some of your bedside as you go home to be with Jesus. Yet in this season, right now, it's very real for me because my grandmother is uh, preparing to be home with the Lord soon. And I'm 10 hours away from her. There is a real sacrifice involved for my family and I. But I need you to know that, that I was aware of that sacrifice when the Lord called me to serve him in this capacity. It's just a truth, though, that ministry involves suffering and sacrifice. But I also want to say this, because the text is clear. In context of this text, Paul says, I rejoice in my suffering. Listen, i got to tell you, church, I would not be the pastor that I am. Mallory and I would not be the, the couple we are, the family that we are, without the trials and tribulations we've been through. And I know what some of you are thinking, like, Man, I've got underwear older than this guy. What is he talking about? (laughs) Some of you are wearing it today. Come on, that's gross, all right? But I just got to tell you, like, I've been a lead pastor now, I guess, a a decade. And y'all, like, even in between services, I was talking to my friend John, and he was just kind of saying, yeah, so y'all been, and I I ended up accidentally starting to tell some of the stuff. And by the time I got done, he and John and I were both like, we need to make a movie about this. Like, we have been through some things. And also just sometimes looking back, you realize how the Lord has delivered you from some pretty toxic situations. So when I say I love you, church, please hear my heart when I say, like, we know we're well taken care of because we have been through some stuff that Mallory and I both were like, why are we even doing this? So even in just a decade of ministry, we've been through some crazy hurts that you probably wouldn't even believe but, but what I want to tell you is that without these hardships, without these hurts, without the sacrifices, 
we wouldn't be who God has called us to be. He's made me the pastor that I am because of these things. So I want to just say to you, I'm not a fan. Is there anybody who's like, yes, suffering's my deal? No, like none of us like it. But here's what the Bible makes clear. This isn't exclusively for pastors. Talking about pastors in this context, but throughout Scripture, the Word of God is going to say that Christians will experience suffering. But praise be to God, he uses it all to make us who it is he wants us to be. So the pastor's reality is that suffering is inevitable. But secondly, in this text, we see the pastor's call, and that call is to shepherd the flock. In verse 25, after saying that he suffers for the church, Paul says, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you. So Paul says, I am a steward of the church. This was given to me. This word steward simply means caretaker. So Paul is saying, I have been given this church, but it is not mine. It doesn't belong to me. I am simply a steward or a caretaker over it. I think this is really important for us to be reminded of today because our culture has gotten this so backward. We've made the church all about the pastor, but the pastors are simply the stewards or the caretakers. And this is where we need to just get real honest with one another. Stewards change. Pastor Brad, some of you know him, some of you don't. Brad is sitting right here. He was the steward of this church for about 15, 16 years. And for the past four years, I've been the steward of this church. Like, this is one of the cool things about pastoring a young church is, like, I've almost been your pastor a quarter of our existence, right? And it won't take that long for me to say, like, I've been your pastor, your steward for half of the existence of this church. But here's what we just need to acknowledge. I'm not always going to be the steward of this church. That's just the reality. I don't have plans to leave or anything like that. But, but I pray, and you know, again, I pray the Lord leaves me here a long time. But the call for me or for any pastor of this church is to be the caretaker of it, fully aware of the reality that it's not mine. God has called me here to shepherd this flock, to lead, to protect, to care for, to grow, and to develop the sheep of his pasture, all the while knowing that it's not my church. It's his. I read a book about pastoral ministry a month or two ago that had this phrase, and it really stood out to me. It said this, God has given pastors for the church, not the church for pastors. Now, that may not speak to you like it does me, but, but this phrase really changes everything. Like, I'm here to serve you. I'm here for you. I'm not here to use you. I'm not here to make this church successful and to use you to make this church successful. I'm not here to get what I can out of you. My call is to be your servant, to serve you well. Now, listen to me. This doesn't mean that I do whatever you want. Because remember, you're not the boss, (laughs) Jesus is the boss. So when I say the church doesn't belong to me, this isn't time for you to kind of be like, "Ah, yep, because it belongs to, no, it doesn't belong to you either. This church belongs to Jesus Christ. And in the same way that I'm a steward of you, you are a steward of this church because it ultimately doesn't belong to any of us. It belongs to Jesus. So I want to serve Crossroad in a way Ultimately, not not that you would say, now that Rusty, he's a good pastor. 
No, and I, you know, I pray that you would be able to say that. But can I tell you what the call is for me is to serve this church in such a way that Jesus Christ, the good shepherd, would say, well done, good and faithful servant, regardless of what you would say. Because here's the hard reality. Sometimes the way of Jesus isn't necessarily the way we want to be led. Sometimes the way of Jesus isn't the way of explosive church growth. Sometimes the way of Jesus isn't in keeping the small little church that we like. Sometimes the way of Jesus looks wildly different than anything we would expect or imagine. The world may look at us, other churches may look at us, and they would say, man, why are they doing that? Why, why don't they try this? Why don't he preach like this person or that person? Why are they doing music like this? Why don't they do it like that? But at the end of the day, the pastor must listen to the voice of the good shepherd so that he, as under-shepherd to God's people, can lead in the way that Jesus wants. I pray that I would be able to shepherd you well, that I would be a gift to this church family, that our pastors and ministry leaders would serve you well. And I pray that as we occasionally get off course, which we will do because we are still humans, that the Lord would graciously call us back to this call to shepherd the flock of God that is among you. And how are we to do this? This brings us to our next truth, the pastor's tools. The pastor's tools in this text are the gospel and the word. Paul goes on at the end of verse 25 to say what it is that he's been given to lead the church and really what his primary job as he leads is. And here's what it is. To make the word of God fully known. And in verse 26, he talks about this mystery that's been revealed. And then he shares what this mystery is in verse 27. It says this. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery. And what's this mystery? Which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Paul says, I'm called to shepherd this flock. I've been entrusted with the church, and the way that I'm going to go about my business is to make the word of God known and to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. Not only for salvation, but for spiritual growth. The mystery of the gospel has been entrusted to us to pass on to you. And that mystery is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Friends, today you can have this hope because Jesus is really alive and he really saves. You are a great sinner, but he is a great savior. And he's available to you today. And this gospel is revealed through God's word. And these are the primary tools of the pastor. Pastors have been entrusted with the word of God. The mystery of the gospel has been entrusted to me. Now listen, some of you right now, that's not setting well with you. That's not to say that I am the Pope or anything like that and that I'm the Bible answer man and you've all got to come to me for answers. No, here's what that means. God has entrusted me with the word of God and the gospel so that I, as your shepherd, may entrust it to you. Paul, when he wrote a letter to a young pastor, Timothy, 2 Timothy 1.14 says this. By the way, he knew it would be read by Paul and then commonly knew that it would be read to the entire congregation. And it said this, guard the good deposit that has been entrusted to you, church. 
So, so this is the call of the pastor. Pastors are entrusted with this good news and the Bible, and the primary call is that I would pass this on to you, that I would spend my life, that I would pour my life out making deposits of the gospel and the word of God in your life on a daily basis. This is the call of the pastor. This is to be my life and ministry. But I don't mind telling you that all the powers of the world and hell come against these tools. The world offers so many shortcuts today, and I think a lot of churches take them. Give the people what they want. It's so easy as a pastor to kind of become a religious shopkeeper, kind of trying to keep the coolest Jesus store here in Wichita. Promises that we can get big fast if we do it right. And I know that I often sound critical of these churches, and, and I know the game you play, like, I wonder which one's he talking about. Stop. Because I know a lot of these guys. I know their hearts. I know that they love Jesus. I know that they really want to reach people. They want to connect with people. They want to help people find Jesus. But, but friends, listen to me when I say this. The tools we use matters. Like, God has prescribed the methods and the tools of the pastor Paul doesn't say a word in here about leadership strategies. He doesn't spend a verse in all of the scriptures encouraging pastors to try to level up their hospitality ministry. He doesn't invite them, hey, you know what would really work, a church in Colossae? Have you thought about building a new building? He doesn't say that. There you go. Some of you, that was the Holy Spirit. It's time to build, church. <laughs> Paul doesn't write to them and say, hey, can you do something about the coffee? <laughs> By the way, we're working on the coffee. And it's not that all these other things don't matter. I mean, there's a place for them. Like, y'all, you wouldn't be sitting here in a nice, cool, comfortable building if we weren't considering those things at all. But the fact of the matter is, those must be under the big umbrella that is the pastor's call and reality that he's got to preach and teach the word of God. And all this other stuff, it's possible to have all of that and not have this. And when you do that, you don't really have a biblical church. What Paul does say is you've got the gospel and the word, now go do work. This is the biblical call of pastors to shepherd the flock using the tools of the gospel and the word. And listen, can I just say, Crossroad, I love you, and I know that you're nodding along and saying amen externally and internally, and I appreciate your heart for this, but can I tell you, even in our church, when a pastor truly starts working on these tools being primary, there's going to be some pushback. When I work to prioritize prayer and the word, that means that I have to deprioritize other things that we have unintentionally put on the pastor's plate. So my prayer is that as I work to intentionally use these tools as the primary tools of my calling, that you would be patient and confident knowing that I'm doing the most important thing that I can to serve you well. The pastor's tools are the word of God and the gospel that it proclaims. And when we do that, we begin to fulfill the pastor's mission. 
It's our fourth truth. The truth of the pastor's mission is to present a mature church. Look at verse 28. Paul says, him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom. So again, teaching and proclaiming, using the tools that God has given us. But why? The text says that we may present everyone mature in Christ. The New American Standard there says more literally, present everyone complete in Christ. The mission of pastoral ministry is to lead God's people to completion, to maturity in Christ. To help you walk with Jesus day in and day out until the Lord comes back or he takes you home. Y'all realize this isn't a short-term project. This isn't something I can do in a sermon. This isn't something I can do in a sermon series to fix this. No, this is something that we're going to be working on for a long time. God has called me to pour out my life to help you become mature in Christ Jesus. Now, here's the wild part that you have to deal with. As I work to present you mature in Christ, I'm maturing too. Isn't that wild? Like, you have to be led to maturity in Christ by someone who is still working toward maturity in Christ. This is how the Lord's created his church to operate, and it's weird to me. And here's what I know. For some of you, that freaks you out a little bit. To be led and shepherded by men who are in the middle of their own sanctification. I got to tell you, I grew up in a not pastor's home. So guess what I got to hear? All the things people say about pastors. <laughs> and I just know that there is a hesitancy for some people to want to get too close to a pastor because they don't want to know their faults. Y'all, I've, I've seen the color change in your face when you've been with me and I hit my thumb with a hammer and say something I shouldn't. Some of you are like, Oh, even now, you're uncomfortable. Do you mean he has uttered from his mouth a word that should not be? Some of you need to come on now. Dadgum. I've seen people in that moment like, oh, no. Because like, you, you almost want to have this perfect kind of thing. Because here's what happens. When you see that your pastor is flawed, it makes you look at yourself and say, then I must be flawed too. So there's a real tendency, if I'm not careful as your pastor, just to try to pretend like everything's okay and that I'm perfect and to become the character of Pastor Rusty. It's easy to do that. But can I tell you what happens? It doesn't help you. It actually hurts me and it hurts you. Because Paul said in 1 Corinthians 11, follow me as I follow Christ. He didn't say, follow me as I pretend to be like Jesus. Follow me as I follow Christ. You know what happens as you follow Christ? Every day he's molding and shaping us into who it is that he wants us to be. So the Lord has designed this church to work where you are led, you are shepherded by someone who is in the middle of their own sanctification. So this is how a pastor counts wins. Not in attendance, not in new members, not in his reputation in the community, not in his reputation in the broader church, but the win is maturity. A church that is growing in faith and growing in love. I want to be able to pray like Paul prayed. I always thank God every time I think about you and pray for you because of your faith that you have in Jesus and your growing love for one another. 
But I've added to my daily prayer for you that the Lord would allow me the great privilege of shepherding a flock that I can joyfully present to him, mature and complete on the day that we stand before him. And I got to tell you, on that day, this is what this walk with Christ looks like on this side of eternity. We're not going to be perfect. And, and I hope that, that one day when we stand before the Lord, some of you are going to be pointing at me and saying, you're letting that guy in? And I'm going to be pointing at you and saying, them? <laughs> like they? And we all stand before the throne complete in Christ because this gospel that he has worked in us day by day, week by week, as we've made deposits of it into our lives. All of this culminates in this text with the pastor's promise. And that promise is his energy. It's a weird way to sum up what verse 29 says. If you have your Bible, let's look at that again together. He said, for this I toil, I work, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. What a promise that is for pastors that the Lord would work within us his energy. And oh, do we need it today, friends. This cannot be done in human strength. This cannot be accomplished or fulfilled apart from the Lord's help. And this is where the message gets a little bit personal for me today. And I share this with you just so you can know how to pray for me. When I'm weary, when I am burnt out, when I am over it, I've got to realize in those moments that I'm not doing the Lord's work. Because this text is clear that when you are toiling at the task God has called you to, he will give you his energy. But I don't mind confessing to you that there are all too often times where I'm at the end of my rope, where I feel like I am ready to tap out and go work at the hardware store and call it a day. But it's on those days that the Lord reminds me in a very real way that he isn't going to give me energy to grow a successful church. He's not going to give me energy to be a successful pastor. He's not going to give me energy to work to make our church awesome. Instead, what the Lord invites me to as a shepherd is to sacrifice my dreams, to sacrifice my ideals of, of what I thought this would all be, and instead just to shepherd this flock using the tools that he has given me, the gospel and the word of God, to labor, to present everyone mature in Christ. And listen, when I do that, there are going to be days when I'm tired. There's no doubt about that. But this text says that I will be able to keep going. Why? Because I can struggle, I can toil away all the while his energy is powerfully working within me. Friends, you need to know today that rusty energy and rusty power is very limited. But here's the weird thing that I also know from doing this for a decade. It can grow a church. It can even build a pretty effective brand. It can get people to come in the doors. And it can even get me praise from you. It can do a lot of things for this church. But it has a shelf life. And ultimately, it kills me in the process. And it hurts you. In these recent weeks and months and even days preparing this message, the Lord has reminded me to, to stop relying on rusty power and instead to let his power work while I work on what matters the most. 
And I know this is, again, this is pretty awkward. I kind of wish I had the mic back. <laughs> it was easy to deflect. Here's what I want to ask of you, church. As you pray for Crossroad, as you pray for our pastors and our ministry staff, Miss Audra is a ministry leader, certainly shepherding our children, doing pastoral work with our kids. Would you pray these things over us? Would you ask that the Lord would help us not to labor in our own strength, to not get caught up in the religious shopkeeping that church can become, but instead that we would be a church and we would be ministers that are using the tools of God's gospel and his word to build his church. And when we do that, listen, it may not look like the church down the road, it may not look like the church of my dreams or the church of your dreams, the church that any of us expected, but by God's grace, I believe that we will find ourselves being a church that is growing in Christ, preparing for the day when we will be presented complete before him. May he indeed help us to reach, teach, live, and love with all of his energy that he powerfully works within us. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? I know this has been an unusual message, and it may be me feeling that more than you, but, but either way, I know it's a, it's a challenging word for me, and I pray that it's a helpful word for you as you know how to pray for our ministry leaders and for our church. But ultimately, and, and the next week we're going to talk more about this verse, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Crossroad, our only hope is Christ in us. As your pastor and as the other pastors and ministry leaders on our staff, the only hope for us is Christ in us. So would you pray that the Lord would remind you of that truth, remind our church of this truth, that we would not operate in our own strength, that we would be able to toil at the tasks he has given us without growing weary and doing good, without uh, trying to use different tools to take shortcuts, but instead that, that we would be a people who cling to the gospel and live and walk by the gospel. Lord Jesus, thank you for your word, and I pray, God, that you would just seal this truth into our hearts and our souls. The only reason we're here, the only reason this church is here is by your amazing grace. So Lord, remind us of this gospel as we worship you today.